This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yeah. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 14. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. I'm joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian Hugh. Fellas, how you guys doing? Quick intro round. Happy New Year. How you guys doing? Welcome in. Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, the first episode of 2021, episode 14. The amount of dollars the Rebels have spent this year for looking for new players. 14, Titi Henry, Johan Cruyff, Chicharito, and... Of course, Nicholas Hasler when he played for Sporting Kansas City. So, welcome! I thought when Christian was going to make a joke about $14 in the Red Bulls, he was going to talk about the price of water at their stadium. But <laughs> other than that, I'm glad to be back for another episode, and I'm really excited to get into the content that we're doing today. But also, I'm very excited about today's interview, which I think all of you are going to like. And I personally really, really, really enjoyed interviewing our guest today. And so, I'm excited for this episode, and I'm excited to get this interview out to you all. Thanks for the setup, Hugh. Yeah, we definitely have a big episode episode coming up for you guys today. We have a big guest joining us a little later. He is a Liechtenstein international. He's also played for Toronto FC. He's a MLS Cup winner back in 2017. Supporter Shield winner as well. We got the one and only Nicholas Hasler joining us all the way from Liechtenstein. He's coming up a little later. And we have a special guest co-host joining us in the studio with us today. His name is Eric from Harlem. I'll let him do a quick intro. Eric, what's up, man? Say what's up to the fans. Hello, Rodney, Hugh, Christian. Thank you for having me today. New year, new soccer. Can't wait to see what 2021 has in store for us today. But thanks for having me, y'all. And thanks for the fans, you know, every day for listening. My favorite team, Hala Madrid, baby. Favorite <laughs> smart player. man, smart man. We like him already. Favorite player, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo. Without a doubt. <laughs> Unlucky for me, by the way. Three Real yeah, Madrid really. Players. What am I going to do? Christian's just going to get talked over whenever he says something we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and fellas, we got a lot of soccer news to get into. We got some good topics coming up since we last recorded. A couple big headlines coming up. PSG have a new head coach. Pochettino is official. He's officially in Paris. He already got his first win in League One. Excited to see what's coming up with him. PSG, will Sergio Ramos be walking away from free from Real Madrid? He has no contract coming up. Could this potentially be his last season? Copa Libertadores. Is. We have the last four teams, Santos, Palmeiras, River Plate, Boca Juniors. We have the final set up on January 30th. That's going to be a good one. River Plate aren't looking so good, though. They already got three goals scored on, so we'll see what's going on with that. More to come. Inter Miami and Diego Alonso are done. Chris is excited, possibly Phil Neville joining Inter Miami. More to come on that. A lot of expectations for Inter Miami. New season, Austin FC coming up soon. So a lot of hype, a lot of expectations coming up. And we're also talking the Manchester Derby. Man City versus Man U. Man City took that 
2-0 during the uh, uh, Carabao, Carabao Cup. Cup. Yeah, for sure. And Juve beat AC Milan 3-1 at the San Siro. That was a good game as well. Cristiano in action. No Ibra. AC Milan losing 3-1 at the San Siro. And lastly, LA Galaxy have a new head coach, Greg Vaney, the former Toronto coach, heading over to LA Galaxy. So more to come on that. But all right, fellas, we potentially are talking Sergio Ramos walking away from free at the end of the season. Sergio Ramos still does not have a contract. Could we possibly be seeing the last of Sergio Ramos? Hugh, I'll start it off with you. You're one of the biggest Real Madrid fans I know. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of Sergio Ramos? Is it a mistake to let him go? Oh, I think it's a total mistake to let him go. I just don't think he's going to leave. And I think the problem is everyone at the club wants him to stay. So that's all the way through the hierarchy. That includes Zidane. That includes basically every technical person on the team. And all of his teammates want him there too. I mean, I guarantee you there's not a single person on the Real Madrid squad, maybe save Nacho Fernandez, who doesn't want Sergio Ramos there. And that's just because Nacho Fernandez gets his playtime bonus when Ramos isn't there. But I think the only reason Sergio Ramos would leave is if he doesn't get his contract, obviously. And I think Florentino Perez is just going to cave in at one point. Like, there's no reason for him to let him go. The guy, I mean, from every perspective, Sergio Ramos is a, is a huge asset for the club. He sells shirts. He's a performer week in and week out. He scores goals. He defends goals. He's probably one of the greatest defenders in the club's history, if not in the history of all defenders. That's arguable whether you think he's the best or not. Me, even as a Madrid fan, I think Maldini probably still hedges him out and there's a, a couple other guys. But again, not a very important top, topic. Top three, top five. Yeah, I'd say top, top five securely. But I think there are a couple of guys who I'd put ahead of him. And I think Perez is going to cave in and he's going to he's going to give him the offer and, and Ramos is going to sign it. And in terms of him leaving, I don't see him playing anywhere else. Like he's been at Madrid for the past, I think the past 14 years, I want to say maybe 15, like 16, 16. Oh, wow. So he's been at, he's been at Madrid for a long time. And I don't think he's going to go play anywhere. It, it would just be weird to see him play somewhere else. I mean, maybe like Raul, he goes and plays for Schalke for a season, but I don't see that really happening so it's either for me he gets the contract or he retires and i don't think he wants to retire because i think he wants to try to win the euro this summer so for me sergio ramos is getting a contract sometime in the next couple of months he's signing it he's playing a couple more scenes with madrid and whether it's a two-year deal or a one-year deal i know Real Madrid usually only signs one-year deals with players over 30 i think they'll break the rule for him and i think he'll get the contract he'll stay around and i think spain have a good chance of winning the euros this summer but that's a discussion for a june episode so i'll leave it at that i think it would be a huge mistake honestly it's arguable but i think it's a bigger mistake than real madrid letting ronaldo leave i think you think real madrid there's no other player that emphasizes what a madrid player is than sergio ramos think about it if he were to leave you know i think it's a lot easier to replace a ronaldo like figure but ramos there's no replacing him i think at a time where clubs are struggling to find a decent defender real madrid are going to have a very difficult time finding a replacement for ramos a much more difficult time i think they are going to break the rules i know Perez has this policy where he just offers one years to players over 30 they have to break the policy for Ramos he is I think he's the biggest club legend for the club I do not see him leaving I think he's gonna stick around for another at minimum three years well big news guys he's coming to FC Barcelona we need a defender in the team so Sergio Ramos you're welcome to the Camp Nou 
God uh, help us if that happens. <laughs> oh, the face if that would happen. But no, My to be God. honest, I think, well, maybe you see him paired up with Messi at PSG. You know, you, it's going to be We're hearing that. We're hearing summer. that. So, but more likely, I do see him coming to the States. He will be coming to the MLS. And Beckham is going to make sure he gets his nice mansion near the beach. And, you know, he's still got two, three good years in him, whether he plays in the States or in Europe. I mean, I've said this a million times. He's a leader. He's a person. He, like you said, uh, Eric, leaders, right? Uh, someone so important, like Puyol. I'm thinking back. What has Barcelona done since he left? It's been trash. The defense has been horrible. So, yeah, it's gonna be a big loss for you guys if you you you're not able to sign him up for another couple of years. Yeah, and as for me, Florentino, if you are listening to the Soccer Stuff <laughs> podcast all the way in Madrid, resign this man. He's 34 years old. You know, I think he's easily played till he's 38. And he, I think he's definitely got at least three, four more years left in him. Uh, you know, 16 years with the club, four Champions Leagues, five La Ligas, and much more that I'm not even naming. But he's probably the best captain the club's ever had. You know, 16 years in, and he's still as vital as ever. Uh, everyone can tell you he bleeds white. You know, he symbolizes Real Madrid like nobody else. Yeah, like Eric said, and Hugh said, the whole politics that Real Madrid only offers one-year deals to players over 30 is, I think, is insane. I think we, we definitely got to break that taboo or you know that topic because this man is definitely worth it and you know you feel it and you feel it and you see it when he's not playing i feel like the team is something different when he's not on the pitch and you know his leadership his character i think really defines the club so more to come on that i know he said last year if, if he were president he would give himself a lifetime contract because like christian said he is real madrid and i think he wants to stay in real madrid for the rest of his career but we'll see if he does come to the mls or if he just retires right after that more to come we're also talking juve ac milan juve took that game three to one at the san Siro. Uh, he will start that one off with you, man. What you think of that game? For me, at least, I was surprised to see that margin, especially at the San Siro, because of the fact that usually you think of AC Milan being sort of a, a solid team at home, especially when they're performing well. You know, the past eight years-ish, I'll extend it to 10 for AC Milan. Inter Milan have about eight years. But for the past decade or so, the sort of the, the sporting community in Milan hasn't been given a lot from their teams. And I think the problem with that is the AC Milan that all of us like watching and all of us think is, of as, as, as AC Milan is not what it was. And I think this year we've really seen that and they're sort of stuck at the top of the table and they're doing very well. And you have performances that are really exceptional, like from players like Rafael Leao, who maybe were sort of under a lot of people's radar before this year. Um Andes at left back. You've got a you've got a couple of really sort of young and and good, good players in that squad. And I think they're still candidates to potentially win the league, but I think uh, Juventus just showed a little bit of what they're made of and what they were lacking at the beginning of the year. And I think Weston McKinney, at least for me, has really gotten into his stride. And he is one of my favorite midfielders in the European game right now. And maybe I'm partial because I'm an American, but I think he is, for me at least, really, really getting into work in that Juve squad. And he's going to make a difference. We saw it against Barcelona. We saw it against Milan. He's, and then we saw it today against Aspolo, where he's actually playing and controlling the ball in the midfield. And he's really working it in a way that helps the strikers, helps the wingers and helps the fullbacks. And so I think as a general comment on the game, I think Weston McKinney was very integral to Juve winning the game. Uh, and obviously Cristiano Ronaldo, because everyone expects him to score in every game. And so when it comes to how I felt the game played out, it was a little different to what I 
expected, but then again, it was what I would have expected at the beginning of the season. So I think Juve maybe have gotten more traction in what they didn't have when the season started. First and foremost, I think if you're a Milan fan listening, do not get discouraged. You know, Milan, there's no shame in losing your unbeaten streak to a Juventus side. You know, I'm not going to give them the excuse of, oh, COVID, you know, they were... AC Milan were down to, you know, their last players, you know, starting Maldini, who's 16 years old, you know. I won't excuse that. I think the game was very entertaining on both sides. I hate the notion where people think that Serie A is a very boring league. Not at all. That game was very entertaining. Both teams were attacking. Both teams were playing magnificent. In my opinion, the officiating was very bad. You know, there were calls going against both teams in a second. I thought Betancourt should have been given red a card. yellow. Yes, definitely a red card. I think a penalty should have been awarded to Milan. But I think, honestly, quite honestly, both sides played very well. Obviously, a Milan, if Milan really want to contend for the title, they have to show backbone and continue winning. Obviously, they won today against Torino, if I'm not mistaken, or yeah. yesterday. My apologies. I mean, if they listen, if they want to be considered serious contenders, it's how they bounce back after a serious loss like this. Juventus. I think this was a perfect game for Chiesa, really showing the fans what he was brought in to do, to score those magnificent goals. Dybala needed this game. He really needed this game because he's having a tough time fitting into the Juventus side. But that back heel assist, it was it was amazing. Beautiful. Magnificent. Oh, man. I mean, Eric, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, uh, for me, it, we, we don't cover Italian uh, Serie A that much. And to me, I got a first real look of uh, AC Milan. We've seen Juventus in the Champions League. But AC Milan, I'm really happy because they have resurrected from the dead. You know, I think they have a, a great squad. Like you said, if I'm an AC Milan fan, uh, I, I wouldn't lose hopes of winning the title. They're very consistent. They have great players. You know, the team actually spans out pretty wide when they attacked you know and they're moving the uh, moving the ball pretty well good possession good control they move around they're not static like they you see a couple of uh, of plays where defenders are getting shots on goal and that's impressive that's the new modern attacking football and uh, some key players uh Uh, the defensive midfielder, oh my God, he's someone to to consider the Ivory, Ivory Coast player, man. He is going to be one of the top midfielders in the world because I just see that potential in him. I really love seeing what he did. And uh, Leao, too, that's my first time seeing Leao in action. You know what happened? In the first half, it was pretty balanced. But on the second half, they stopped looking for him. They stopped feeding the ball for him, and they kind of got stuck. Juventus is really good playing that two defensive line with the midfield and defensive line together that they couldn't penetrate the lines. And if they were, Bonucci and the league were always really observing which side was uh, the ball going to go, and they stopped their attacks. That's why you saw a lot of shots outside the box. So I think, uh, you know, Juventus and Pirlo pretty much came out very uh, with a good strategy in the second half and, and and they won the game but like i said milan fans this is a team to watch and without a couple of key cl uh, key players because of injury and ibra not being uh, on the field I, i can't wait when everybody's healthy and ready to 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 play and and, and probably win the title yeah fellas and we also saw an amazing derby on wednesday manchester united versus man city man city took that one two zero Wanted to get your thoughts on that game. Hugh, I'll let you go first again. Well, if you're a Man United fan, it was it was probably a pretty sad game because City really had the front foot the whole time. And obviously, you saw Kevin De Bruyne sort of really, really controlling the midfield, had it on strings. And a couple of other players played a good role. Uh, I think Phil Foden played a decent role. And and the goals came from unlikely people, John Stones and Fernandinho. I mean, usually you don't think of them as goal scorers, and I think for good reason. But overall, City just dominated the game. 
in a way that I think United weren't prepared for. And you, look, United have had some good games this year, but it always feels like sometimes they have those games where it's like, what are they doing? Like, where is the United that was playing last week? Because there's what there's like a joke you see all the time where it's like United turns into prime United every time always about to get sacked. Right. And I, I genuinely think that's true because when, whenever his job's secure for some reason, like they all just become Manchester United from two years ago again and do really poorly. And I think it's just, it's not good to see them in games like this, but I think they've still got a chance to do something in the Prem and well, maybe in Europe, they don't have a chance, but because of RB Leipzig, but we don't have to talk about that for any Man United fans listening. I think, look, it was a bad game. It was a bad day and it was a good game and a good game, a good day for City. So I think at the end of the day, City played well, United just didn't. And for me, it was just a normal game where one team was better than the other. You, I completely agree with you. You know, some days United looked like, hey, they can take it all. They can even win Champions League. Of course, not anymore, but you know, <laughs> Other days they look like a relegation team. It's just it's they're they're really just it's fascinating to watch them play at times. Honestly, I thought Man City were the clear victor. There was there's no doubt about that. It's much to concern, in my opinion, if you're Ole, because um this is your fourth semifinal loss. You know, you keep losing at the final hurdle. Not not even final hurdle, semifinal. So, you know, I think you have to reconsider, you know, is this the man you want leading Man United? You know, consistently losing semifinals. You know, if you can't even make it to a final, it's a bit worrisome. Aside from that, City deserved the win. They played phenomenal. You know, United, they played very defensively. They played, um, you know, on the counterattack. They don't have the defenders to play like that. You know, they have very shaky defense. And against City, they're just going to, they're going to choke the life out of you. And that's what I'm saying. What is Ole doing with the team? Because obviously his playing style, sometimes I counter, sometimes I attack. But, you know, Manchester United is a team, is a winning team, right? And he should have a winning mentality. And, you know, when you go against Guardiola and you expect it to, you know, like kind of like park the bus a little bit, you know, they, they were playing without forwards and they were still controlling the game. And Kevin De Bruyne, the GOAT, uh, Ballon d'Or for me uh, every year, <laughs> he's just so underrated because, I don't know, because you always have Messi and Ronaldo, but his vision, his control, like, if if you love watching soccer, if you love watching football, watch Manchester City, watch Kevin De Bruyne, because the way he just manipulated the whole midfield, it's it just fantastic. I did get confused. What's the, the left back from Manchester City? What's his name? I think he's number Didn't 11. Yeah, yeah, he looks exactly like Kevin De Bruyne, and I'm like, yeah. yo, is he running every part of the field? Because <laughs> he, he looks look- like his son. Yeah. <laughs> so they look like it's like baby Kevin De Bruyne on the field. No, but overall, I think uh, you know United have to change the way they play, man. Because if you're playing big games, play like a big team, and if you're not gonna do that, then maybe Ole, I don't know. I don't think uh, is the right man for the job. They're still waiting for him. It's okay, but it's already been been quite a while, and and United. You still don't know what they're going to play like uh, on the next game. Other than that, I do think that there are some good plays from uh, from both teams. Foden is really the, a great player in the future of the English team. I, I really love the way he he's hit for his age, his mentality and craftiness on the ball. It, it's, it's scary because he was just you know kind of like doing whatever he wanted on that uh, on that side against uh, Juan Bisaka. So I I really love seeing him play. I love Kevin De Bruyne. It's Sterling doing what he does. I wish he gets better shots on goal, but, you know, I can't ask for miracles. But other than that, uh, City and, and Man United game, Pep Guardiola, the best coach.
coach in the planet. Sorry, I have to say it. FC Barcelona fan here. And as a quick follow-up to that, guys, who do you guys think are looking good right now to possibly take Premier League title this, this upcoming season? I mean, obviously, we have Liverpool still first, still staying consistent, but we have Man U right behind them, right on second place, 33 points as well. Leicester City at third and Tottenham at fourth. And we had Chelsea slip down to ninth. I know they were recently fourth and fifth. So, Hugh, who do you think right now is looking good to possibly win the Premier League? Is it still Liverpool for you? I think, okay, like Liverpool's the safe bet in that Liverpool's probably going to play well for the rest of the year. Look, I still think United can pull it together in the league because they're, I mean, they're, they have a game in hand and they're only down by goal difference on the top of the table. So at least last time I checked. So they, they still have, a, I mean, Leicester still has a chance of winning the league. I think as long as, as Liverpool can still hold on to what they have and, and, and play consistently like they have for the past year, year and a half, two years. Okay, fine. Liverpool's been good for a while now, but if Liverpool can stay good, then they'll, obviously win the league because they're on top of it right now but i think there's a very big possibility for someone like man united to win the league and i think leicester also than those three teams i don't think anyone else is going to challenge for it but i think within those three teams is a very big chance of one of them winning it and i think is as good of a chance from one of them as any of them i think in my opinion the safe bet i agree with you completely liverpool are the safe bet if and only if they got to center back this transfer window because Ooh. they've been playing Fabinho and Henderson at center back. You know, obviously Reese Williams and other youth players. I do not think that's going to hold out for the rest of the the rest of the Premier League. Manchester United, as we know, they're very inconsistent. I don't believe they're going to go for the title. I think third place is where they'll end up. But in all honesty, I think Man City is going to take it all. Oh. Um, I think <laughs> you heard it here first against United. They definitely showed that they're a sleeping giant, you know, waiting to win. Yeah, that's right. And I agree with you too, Eric. I mean, Guardiola said, listen, we didn't have a preseason. We weren't able to, uh, you know, get some rhythm. Uh, so it took a little while, but Hey man, listen, w when you're watching city, you're watching authentic attack and football and possession. The best way to defend is to have the possession of the ball especially if it's better on the other side of the field. So uh, for me, Man City, I'm going to play Oasis, Wonderwall, when the when the season's over, I'm going to celebrate because Messi's coming to City as well. So it's beautiful. KDB and Messi. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Mouth is watering. All right, guys. Well, we got to get over to our guest, Nicholas Hasler. He's coming up in a little bit. This man has played for the Liechtenstein national team. He's played for the Chicago Fire. He's played for Toronto FC, MLS Cup winner. All the way from Liechtenstein, he's joining us. Great guy. Nico, thank you so much for the jersey, by the way. Really appreciate that. We're going to hang that up on the studios one day. Yeah, Nicholas Hasler coming up next. Let's go. All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. He's a player for the Liechtenstein national team. He's also played in the MLS for Toronto FC, the Chicago Fire, Sporting Kansas. He's also an MLS Cup winner and a Supporters' Shield winner. He's a three-time Liechtenstein Footballer of the Year. He currently plays with FC Toon in Switzerland at the moment. Let's please give a warm welcome to the one and only Mr. Nicholas Hazard to the show. Nico. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, how are you guys? Thank you so much for being on the show with us, Nicholas. Really appreciate you joining us, especially all the way from Switzerland International, one of the few international interviews that we've done. So we're really excited about that. We wanted to just start off first things first. How are you? How have you been? How have these past few crazy months been for you, especially, you know, living in Switzerland and how's things over there for you? So I'm doing very good. I'm happy to be close to my family now, especially during this time with this virus and this global pandemic. Um, 
I think it's 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 important to have your family close and and see that everybody's healthy. So I'm happy to be here and happy to be on your show too. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Nicholas. Just to start off the interview, uh, we just had a few questions for, for you. You know, looking at your career, we obviously looked you up. Currently playing with FC Tune, and you've played in the MLS in Europe. We see the amazing career that you've had, or you're still having. If you could just kind of tell us how everything started for you when you were a little kid. How did you fall in love with the game? Liechtenstein and Switzerland is very close. So Liechtenstein is a very small country. We only have 38,000 people living there. So we can have our own league. So all the the football is playing in Switzerland. So we are adapted to the Swiss league and we play there so that we can have a league as well. But yeah, I grew up... um, Playing soccer since I was a little boy, my father was a professional too, my elder brother, so I have an elder brother and he was playing football too, not professionally, but that's how I fell in love and that was my my dream was to to be a professional one day too and I'm happy that I could reach that goal. Oh, that's awesome. So you knew from a little kid you wanted to play football. Yes. That's That's amazing. Nico, once again, thank you so much for joining us all over there from uh, Switzerland. We know that your father is regarded as the greatest footballer in Liechtenstein history. History. So we know that you learn a lot from him. But I wanted to focus a little bit more on uh, the academies that you play for, FC Trisin and FC Balsers. How influential were they in your development as a soccer player? So what's maybe interesting in Liechtenstein, because it's a very small country, normally, let's say the better players are going to uh, the Federation of Liechtenstein. So they are taking all the better players from the small cities and they're building a own, an own team. It's not a national team. It's like a. It's called the Team Liechtenstein, but it's playing like a like a normal football club in the Swiss league, so that you you still can be competitive and play on a higher level. So, but as a young player, as a very on a very young age, six years old, seven years old, you start in your city, in your community, and then if you are really good, then the federation will will see you and will invite you to their team. That's how it basically starts. Oh, that's amazing! And uh, when you came in, were you always wanted to play as a midfielder or you know you learn to play the game as a midfielder with the teams yes so I'm developed as a midfielder so my normal position is a central midfielder I'm more like a box-to-box midfielder but in the the past years I, I was playing for Toronto I was playing on the right wing um, Chicago or right back for the national team sometimes I play as a striker number 10 so that's a little bit my game since I was young I'm very versatile so when we had some issues with some players or a player got a red card and we had to fill in a position it was most of the time it was me that had to play other positions and I'm happy that I could do it as a young, at a young age and I'm not worried that I can do it still now um, play different positions. Nico speaking of the national team obviously right now you're one of the most capped players for Liechtenstein in the current national team with 71 national team appearances what is it like representing your national team especially for someone like you who starts in almost every game that you're national team plays do you think it do you feel it's sort of a difficulty or a burden or is it always a relief and a good time when you get to come home and play for the national team it's for sure another burden i heard it a couple of times in the past also that some players were saying ah why you're why you're flying back home to Liechtenstein to play for the national team you guys gonna lose either way and i was like yeah but you know at the end it's your national team it's it's something that you have to be proud of to be called up and to play and compete against other big nations and yeah okay maybe most of the time 
time you assume that you're going to lose, but it's not the mentality that you go into a game. And if at the end there is maybe a draw, then for us, it's a huge win and it's a big celebration. Got it. No, that's awesome, Nicholas. Sticking with the national team, you know, obviously playing for the Liechtenstein national team, you know, you guys come up against some of the biggest national teams in all of Europe, playing them all the time throughout the year, especially throughout all these tournaments, you know, the, the Nations League, the World Cup qualifiers. I wanted to ask you, how do you prepare for each game? You know, obviously coming up against some of the biggest countries or the biggest teams out there. How do you prepare for each game? I mean, for me, it's, it, it doesn't matter if it's a, a national team game against a big team, against a small team, or if I play here with FC Thun against in, in the own league, in the Swiss league. For me, I have still this mentality. I want to go into the game, be ready and be competitive and have a good mentality to, I want to win the game. At the end, as a, I think as a sportsman, you always want to reach the highest goal that you can that you can have. So I'm not going to a game even with the national team and say, oh, if we're going to lose just 2-0, I'm going to be happy now. I want to be in the game. And yeah, if I can beat Spain, I try to beat Spain. Um, I know it's going to be difficult, <laughs> that's, but I'm That's a champion's mentality. That's a champion's mentality. So th- that's it. And I know that so in the national team, what may be interesting also for others, we don't have 11 professional players. So we have players that are amateurs, that are, they, they have normal jobs. So they are policemen, they work in a, in a bank and, and other, they are teacher at school and they have to take days off to go and play with the national team. So for them, I think it's even, even more amazing to be in big stadiums and play against, if you have with had a couple of, of years back in the days, we had Spain in the group, Italy in the group. And if you can play against these teams, I mean, for others, it's, it's just like a dream come true. That's amazing. I mean, I think we see that we see that a lot with the Iceland uh, national team as well, where I believe they also have normal jobs. And then when they get called up, they have to take some days off as well. They had normal jobs until I think they went to the uh, Euros in France. And then everybody, so they had good results. They got better. And now everybody's professional there. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate goal for the Liechtenstein Federation that we can like, this is a little bit what we look up to, to Iceland. Maybe we can achieve it and that has to be the goal. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's truly, I mean, I wouldn't even imagine me coming out of work and then, you know, flying to Portugal or Spain for a game. <laughs> I think that uh, that's a quite experience. I also wanted to focus on a little bit on the head of the Federation. Uh, help me pronounce it. Peter Jail? Peter Jail? Peter Yele, yes. Peter Yele, yeah. So he, he mentioned how grassroots have help continue to bring interest in boys and girls in Liechtenstein, but society as a whole is losing their focus or moving away from sports. So I wanted to ask you, how do you think that's going to affect the Liechtenstein national team in the future? So to be honest, so the federation has always tasks to manage and so that they can get money from the UEFA and they can put it back into the youth and to the youth development. And this is very important for us as a, as a small nation to keep these young guys that still want to, to try to get to a level to be professional and to play on a higher level to, to make the national team better and better. We need this money. And we need to to put the money back into the youth and to develop them. So it's very, very important to to get that. Moving a little bit away from the national team, but still sort of running in the same vein of development. We know that obviously 
after your long stint at Vaduz, you went to the United States and played a little bit in the MLS. What were the main differences you experienced between playing in Europe and playing in the MLS in terms of atmosphere, in terms of, I mean, at least from my perspective, when you go from playing in the Swiss League, where things are probably maximum an hour flight from each other and coming to the United States where you have to fly like six hours for a weekend game. That's a big difference. So what, yeah. what were like the big changes between Europe and the United States? So the biggest difference, of course, were the cities and the travel. So in Switzerland, you don't even fly. It's everything by bus. So you have a team bus and I think the, the largest travel is maybe four or five hours. And that's okay. Even in a day, you know, you, you drive to the game, maybe you're the day in the hotel and then you play in the evening. But in when I, so when I arrived in Toronto first time and then like all these distances, flying two days before, going to the hotel and staying there and flying back home. So this you really have to adapt. That's one part. The second part, of course, is the atmosphere. When I arrived, let's say the biggest thing was probably Atlanta because they were new in the league 2017 and we played there and they had, I think they had, had the record in that year, maybe, I'm not sure, 79 or 82,000. Yeah, the attendance record. Yeah, they, they blew it out the park. Yeah, and it was just, I think it was one of the last games to win the support the Shield before the playoffs and we won or we draw 2-2 and Atlanta was trying to beat us because they were second or third place and so the stadium was packed and when I explained it to to other teammates I was like guys look for me it's unbelievable because in this stadium is twice my country inside and That's I, I was always thinking like that and just this atmosphere and fans being nice even like away fans if you were playing away even the away fans were it's not what I was used to in Europe that the away fans, they hate you to death and they want you to <laughs> in, in MLS a lot of times. Maybe it's changing a little bit now, but a lot of times um, people that go to the stadium now with the families, they just want to see a, a good game, a good atmosphere. They want to have a spectacle. And so that's the also a big difference. Now, Nicholas, that's good perspective. I actually didn't even think of that. You just mentioned that obviously in, in Liechtenstein, there's only about 38,000 people. So looking at an Atlanta stadium, 70,000 plus, I can't even imagine the atmosphere. I mean, I've been to one game, I think it was about 60,000. I mean, we see those kind of numbers when it's like a national game, like USA versus Mexico or something like that, but yeah. still unbelievable. I'm glad you had that experience here in the US. I had to ask you, Nicholas, you know, taking you back to 2017 with Toronto, winning the MLS Cup, I believe you guys beat the Seattle Sounders for the title that year. Yeah. What was it like playing with those guys like Josie Altador and Sebastian Jovico? <laughs> and uh, what was that experience for you, like lifting the cup and, you know, actually coming to the MLS and winning a cup? So to be honest, before I came to MLS in 2017, I had contact with Toronto and I, two years before that, and I wanted to come already then with a guy um, that is now the head of the Liechtenstein Federation, Peter Riele. And then, unfortunately, I got a, a, a bigger injury and it didn't work out. So two years later, I was out of contract and I didn't want to re-sign with my old team, um, Baduz. And yeah, I don't know how, but Toronto remembered me and they called me and they were like, what do you think? Could you imagine coming over to Toronto, play with us? And um, in this kind of situations, most of the time I, I talk to my brother because he's very into football he loves football he knows every player and he's a little bit so as he's my older brother he's supporting me and giving me advice and I told him look I have this option to go to Toronto and he already told me what 
you have to do it. You imagine you can play with Jovinko, with Bradley. <laughs> smart man, smart man. He knows. <laughs> you will never have this opportunity again. It doesn't matter what price, just go. And that, of course, I had to discuss a little bit. But yeah, looking back, it was the best decision I could ever have done. Flying to Toronto, being in the, in the locker room with these guys, they had for me still Michael Bradley is an amazing captain and he holds the team together. He's a, um, a beast, what mentality is like. And being in this team, you always went on the pitch and you knew there's no way that you can lose the game. If, if you started the game, you knew you're going to win this game. And like feeling this Feeling this mentality and this energy in a team, I never had that before and that was amazing. And then at the end, the best way that you can end the season lifting a trophy or two trophies, three trophies. In that year, we had the record for the Supporter Shield, most points. Um, we won uh, the Canadian Championship. We won uh, MLS Cup and like going home after that, the off season with the treble. It was just that amazing. is amazing, man. Yeah, unbelievable. That was a heck of a year for, for Toronto FC. Yeah, and especially because, I mean, I wanted to bring back the CONCACAF Champions League because you were so influential in that game. You score a goal as, uh, in the second leg against uh, Chivas from Guadalajara. And I wanted to go a little bit over that experience playing uh, in Mexico against uh, the Mexican team and overall just being so close to winning the title. Yeah. I have goosebumps when you're talking <laughs> about that. So, no, it was one also one of the best experience. I mean, after winning MLS Cup, Supporter Shield and everything, and they were saying that we can play in CONCACAF Champions League. I didn't knew that before that. And then flying and playing these big, big Mexican stadiums, not only Guadalajara, but we, we beat Tigres. Um, we played uh, Club America in the historic stadium where Maradona um, scored the hand goal. That That's was right. also for me, I always say for me as a, as a young kid from this small country, Liechtenstein, and going to the big world and experience these things, it was just so beautiful and then going to the to the the final playing the second leg in guadalajara the stadium was packed uh, the mexican people on our way with the bus to the to the stadium the, the streets were packed and i remember that my girlfriend or also the families and 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 friends could toronto organized it that family and friends could fly over to mexico and they took care of them and took them to the to the stadium and everything and they were in a small bus in front of our bus or in the back of our bus and my girlfriend never experienced something like that before and she was saying oh my god there were police cars um, it felt like a classical right it felt like a real madrid uh, barcelona <laughs> classical exactly, exactly she was a little bit scared that's what she told me after 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 the game but for me like this all all this experience, everything, all this, all what you could experience in all the way to the, the stadium, being in the stadium, this, the Mexican fans are known to be very motivating and hard. And oh, I was just amazing playing a final always, as you will never, never forget that. And then, uh, of course, the game was, we lost, I think, the, the first leg in Toronto, and then we went to Mexico and we were sure that we're going to beat them. We go up 1-0, 1-1, and then overtime. And then at the end, yeah, it was a... For me, it was a disaster that we lost the penalty. Just also, I mean, that's football, that's life. One time you lose, one time you win. And that time it was, uh, it was us losing. And 
you have to manage situations like that as well. As well. And uh, I think, as you can see, still now, Toronto managed it very well. I think that year we didn't go to the playoffs. I got traded to, to Chicago, but in the next years, I think in the past four or five years, Toronto was in the MLS Cup three or four times. So amazing club. And speaking of some of the hardest opponents you've played against, obviously you're talking about Guadalajara and some of your amazing teammates at Toronto. Who is the player you've played against or a game you've played where you thought like, this was the most difficult experience of my life, but also probably the best experience of my life. I know you talked about Guadalajara, but are there some players that you played against where you were like, I can't believe I'm playing against them. And like, what am I going to do? Or. Yeah, of course. I mean, I had, I had feelings like that in MLS, but also with the national team. So I'm very blessed to be in the national team and playing um, these big nations like Spain, Italy, whatever. And for me, I think it was one of my first call-ups for the national team when I was young. And we had a, a game against against Spain. And that was that time, I think it was 2011, if I have it right in my mind. And 2010, they won the World Cup. And then like flying to Spain and seeing all these, these big stars that just won the World Cup. There was Xavi, Iniesta, David Villa, Sergio Ramos. And then like, being subbed in and playing against my idol, it was uh, Iniesta. And at the end of the game, getting his jersey, for me, was one of the best Ooh. things. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of my next questions I had for you, Nicholas, was I think you might have answered this a little bit already, but uh, you, obviously your career has taken you all over all over Europe, all over the U.S., pretty much all over the world. So I wanted to ask you, aside from like MLS, any, anywhere in the world, what's been your favorite stadium to play in? I don't know if you might have mentioned it already that Guadalajara was probably one of the craziest for Atlanta, but is there another city, another stadium that like you've also enjoyed the experience? In MLS or also with the national team? It could be anywhere. So... To be honest, I loved I loved the home games at BMO Field in Toronto. This the energy that the fans had, especially during the playoffs, because here in Europe you don't have the system with playoffs. And I knew that the the guys in the team they explained me that look, you have the regular season, but as soon as you come to playoffs, the energy of the fans, the energy of the the team, it's gonna be like double that high. And like experiencing that and playing every home game because we were first seeded team and always playing at home then it was yeah still have goosebumps and if i think about walking into the into the stadium and and playing in front of that fans also but also one of my first national team games that i was playing that i got subbed in let's say was in scotland and scotland also they have like amazing fans if you just think about celtic for example with all this chance and and you know that the stadium is nice the grass is perfectly and flying there and playing and and seeing this energy of the fans that was also amazing that's that's so important because i've heard a lot of reporters talk about how you know professional players are not affected by atmospheres or by by fans and hearing you say that it's like no it it, it makes a little bit of a difference and especially Especially even now that we don't have any fans. Yeah, I mean, Im imagine if you have 80,000 in Atlanta or if you have zero. I mean, it's a big difference. And the, the, the fans can bring this energy to the team with chants, with drums, with whatever. So you, 
football without fans is, is it's not the same. I agree. Nico, one, one of the things that I wanted to ask you more of a of kind of like a technical question is obviously you played as a midfielder for different teams and I wanted to ask you maybe you can give us uh, your tactical uh, pointers on how to be a successful mi uh, midfielder in the game. So to be a successful midfielder I think of course you have to have a, a good passing a good orientation because you're in the the middle as the name says in the middle of the field you have to have eyes everywhere you have to have a quick orientation quick or a good first touch and a, a good second touch with the pass but also and that's what I have to to do more and get more into the box and score goals also for me a, a good midfielder is also one that can play the last pass but also score goals and really quickly before we let you go I know you talked about swapping shirts with Iniesta in one of your first games and as you can see behind me I have a signed jersey back there I love collecting jerseys you must have a collection of some pretty great shirts or some pretty great stuff you've collected from your career what's your favorite piece of memorabilia that you've collected i have a lot of very interesting players jerseys and i'm also like you a collect um collector if you say that right um i love to swap jerseys um in mls i have the opportunity to play against the, the big names and i always try to get a jersey when i had the possibility without like being annoying but yeah For sure, one of my favorite is Iniesta. He's my favorite player. He's, I think, a player that deserved the Ballon d'Or but never get, got it. And playing against him and um, just having the possibility to talk a little bit with him was, for me, one of the the best days in my life for sure and um yeah i have so many big jerseys big names that it's hard to take one out for sure iniesta but uh, let's I, I, so i played with schweinsteiger to to be able to to have this opportunity to play with him and talking to him and learn from him was amazing played against ibrahimovic i have his jersey wow some big names big names modric with the national team in croatia so yeah pick one <laughs> We got to look through your closet, Nico. That's an amazing heck of a collection. For us, it's Nico Hassler. So, you know, whenever you're in the States, you're going to find uh, your jersey in our studio. If, if, if I will come to New York, I will bring one jersey for you. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, pleasure and honor. Thank you. Uh, Nico, uh, kind of like two questions that I wanted to ask you is, uh, one of the toughest players that you ever faced or toughest teams that you ever faced and your favorite uh, player, teammate that you've played with. So the toughest player, it's hard to pick, but I think it was Iniesta when we played against Spain, of course. With the national team, it's even more difficult to get into a pass line and, and steal a ball. But to be honest, I was in the line and I thought, oh, now for sure I'm going to have this ball. And I looked back and Iniesta was already on the other side and had the ball again. So he was for sure one of the toughest opponents that I ever faced. I enjoyed a lot Victor Vasquez when I played with him in, in Toronto. You could see his, his style of play, what he learned at Barcelona when he was a young guy coming into, into this team, Toronto. And then like his technique. So at that time, I was playing as a right winger. Um, in the 3-5-2, I was on the right side. And he was playing as a number eight. And I knew, he never said anything, but I knew I just have to run. The ball is going to come. And that was exactly what it was. I just had to run deep. Um, behind the, uh, the defensive line and the ball was, yeah, he chipped it over the line and basically we were alone in front of the goal. <laughs> Playing with Already him, there. him every day in training, that was pretty amazing. Man, that's amazing, uh, that's amazing. 
And Nicholas, one last question before we let you go. I know you've been with us for a little over 30 minutes. Nicholas, do you still watch the MLS games? Obviously, do you still tune into Toronto all the way from Switzerland? And it's a two-parter. Do you ever see MLS back in your future again down the road in the upcoming years, especially with all the new teams we have now? Uh, Inter Miami, Nashville. Now we have Chicharito here and so many other new players. Yeah, also first... Yes, I'm still following the MLS, especially my old team, so Toronto, Chicago, and Sporting Kansas City. If I have, if with time difference it's possible and I don't have to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning, then uh, (laughs) I'm also watching the games and supporting the guys. I still have contact with uh, a lot of former teammates. And uh, yeah, to be honest, I had the best time in my career in MLS, not only on the football side but also in my personal life and it would be pretty great to to experience again MLS and playing um, in these big stadiums hopefully with fans and who knows maybe I will have the possibility again to come back to MLS. I really hope so. Oh, that's amazing. We'd love to see you here. And obviously the growth of U.S. soccer and the new expansion teams. I believe we're also getting two new clubs, Austin FC and yeah. uh, St. Louis, I believe as well. So more to come from the MLS and the, the league is growing and, and the quality and the talent is definitely there. So we'd love to have you back down the road. Matthew McConaughey, uh, if you need a leader, here's one. Just just putting it out there. <laughs> I would be ready. Well, that wraps it up with our interview with Nicholas Hasler. Thank you so much, Nicholas, for being on our show. Thank you so much for the interview and thank you for your time, especially all the way from Switzerland. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. All right, guys. That was the interview with Nicholas Hasler. What you guys think? Christian, always got to go to you. What you think of that interview, man? I mean, I love that when we talked about the Champions League final, he remembered the games prior to that against uh, Mexican teams, against the Giants like Tigres, and what it was like to play against them. I mean, that that, that was amazing. And he gave a little couple tips on, on, on how to play a good midfielder role, you know, getting more in the box. I loved it, man. I love hearing Nico, and, and he was just a special, special guest. All right, guys. Well, we got to get out of here. Before we do that, let's do a quick outro round. Uh, we got to give a big thank you to Eric for joining us. Eric, say peace out to the fans man thanks for joining us today thanks for having me you know i'm down anytime let's just hope more beautiful football comes our way this year 100 hugh all right here it comes thank you everyone for listening make sure you check us out on our social media on instagram at soccer subs podcast it's the same thing on twitter as well and make sure to check us out on youtube where we promise we'll be posting some more stuff soon i know we've said that before but this time we mean it we're going to be posting we're going to be posting some stuff on that youtube channel make sure to subscribe make sure to follow us on all of our platforms and keep listening thank you Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Soccer Subs podcast, the voice of the people. You already know. You know, I think next time we're going to give, uh, we're going to change the time so we don't pass a huge bedtime. But oh, I love no, it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Hey, listen, you, I catch you. I catch you sleeping. I'm going to call you out on it. Listen. <laughs> Anyways, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I love Eric. Listen, I know we Eric is a friend from work, so we talk about soccer all the time, and I can't wait to bring him uh, another time here, man. Thank you for coming in. 100%. Anytime. Eric, yeah, definitely hope you join us again. And as for me, thank you guys for the support. Episode 14, I can't believe we're already on 14, 15 to come. Hopefully a lot of exciting and good things for 2021 and episode 15. We got a big guest for episode 15 coming up, by the way. We're not going to say his name just yet. Yeah, definitely please give us a follow on, on Instagram, Soccer Sauce Podcast and feel free to shoot us an email podcast at gmail if you guys just want to yell at Christian if you guys want to give us some topics some takes we're all open to that and uh, yeah we just reached 600 followers on Instagram so we're doing something right anyway guys thank you so much for the support episode 14 we're out episode 15 coming up let's do it again and we're out have a good one <laughs>